you have found Looking Glass Forum. We are here to declare our independence, to unlearn the insidious propaganda narrative flooding the media with mass hysteria, racial invective, and hopelessness. But we know the lies are many, and the truth is one. So we're back today, and we have a very interesting guest today, a very controversial fellow indeed, and in the person, author, pastor, and teacher, among other things, of Eric John Phelps. And I've been following his work for some time, as have many others. It's not surprising if you've never heard of him, but I think that his ideas, some of his interesting additions and clarifications on the historical record are something that we all need to pay attention to. It's true that the Eric John Phelps has some very radical ideas, and he's dealt with different things that other people won't really discuss or get into, and he's had some very difficult postulations, to say the least, that he's put forth. But I think that the, at the interview at this time is, a, is crucial because it turns out that a lot of the things that he'd been saying for a long time that appeared to be incredibly implausible years ago today is jumping off the headlines. So though I, I can't agree with, with a, a lot of what Eric John Phelps teaches, there are many very interesting facts that I think are going to come out. Now, history is itself is controversial in the extreme, and we must look back after decades to discover that the worst nightmares we had never prepared ourselves to accept may very well turn out to be true, and often this is the case. Many times, the layers of deceptive propaganda that reassure the populace that there is nothing to worry about. About the active lies of the media as inexhaustible puppets that sound out the brainwash that the leftist media overlords demand universal corporatist orthodoxy to the party. So we must ask ourselves, how did we arrive with this new rabble of neo-fascists, looters and rioters, a new violent communist movement of absolute statists who intend to use the power of the state to bend and enforce the public attitude and behaviors rather than institute the policies that the public is choosing to elect through its officials. In the background looms the coming currency collapse, and as our dollar begins to devalue, our ability as a nation to grow and enrich a productive working class begins to, to disintegrate. These forces that are instigating social unrest, the burn, loot, murder crowd, and the Antifa, Black, Black Lock, revolutionary abolitionist movement, which rallies the college campus agitators, will be bought and funded very cheaply as the climbing fuel and food prices and stagnant working wages will bring the large sector of paycheck to paycheck earning class blue collar workers into the stranglehold hold between rising prices and a currency racing toward hyperinflation. If we are to be liberated from the toxic seduction of the mainstream media propaganda, which batters us with unceasing malice between party A diametrically opposed to party B, and as we clutch our most determined causes and personal political issues, and we lean ever more energetically into these adversarial politics, we are rushing headlong into the crucible of internecine social conflict and civil war. We cannot engage our intellect over our emotions, and this false dichotomy that's presented to us, which leads America into a self-destruction, is to be found naturally and quietly being funded and coordinated by the aristocracy of Europe and those same elite banking cabals. And we can see that the world aligns itself against America. As mobs carry away TVs and rich, corrupted college kids burn buildings, our enemies prepare military maneuvers, which will lead to a military invasion. It's so unthinkable in today's population of people being polled about presidential politics constantly, it's unthinkable that we are facing a military invasion. And this could potentially lead millions of Americans to concentration camps and back into the chains of slavery. So we have to ask ourselves again, what is tyranny? What is slavery? History has its immutable ways of stripping back the layers of comforting lies and soft-padded propaganda in order to allow researchers, like Tomb Raiders, to finally break through the curse's seal and to cast a light to finally behold the horrific truth. And after a facade of lies decades later finally falls away, then, and only then, can the whole edifice of society and civilization finally react to that truth that has been covered up. And the truth of these atrocities are often lied to systematically, the way the New York Times covered up the Holocaust, the way that Walter Duranty covered up the butchery and the forced starvation of millions of Ukrainians as they were forcefully exterminated and starved and their food stolen. Walter Duranty and his lies hid that atrocity for decades. They even have a Walter Duranty journalism award these idiots can, can shamefully accept. And it's the same way millions of Yugoslavians were killed by Alicius Victor Stepanak, a bishop, and the dictator who rose up, who destroyed Yugoslavia and as it formed Croatia 
Croatia, as the state of Croatia as it is today, anti-Pavlic. And they together, Pavlic and Stepanak, collapsed Yugoslavia into a state of chaos and mass murder, where millions of ethnic Yugoslavians who were Jews or they were simply not Catholic were butchered by the million. Millions killed in the streets, beaten with hammers, raped to death, beheaded with saws. All the pictures are on the internet, but you know nothing of it. Why is that the case? As we approach the precipice of large-scale racial provocations, we can see that the internationalist agenda, which has worked to secrete radicals from African and Arab nations all over Europe, European nations, and into North America, which are predominantly European white societies, consequently large populations of radical Muslims in London, Somalian Muslim immigrants in Michigan, are examples of how the international elite have been working on overtime to set into motion a social destabilization on a worldwide scale. While we're dealing with these superimposed, simulated, and bought and paid for radical groups of the Black Lives Matter, the, the racially specific revolution that's taking place, we have to understand that this is really mirroring what's happening in South Africa, where the ANC, a 100% black political party, has taken over the South African government and is is running the white citizens in South, South Africa into the ground. Murders and rapes of white South Africans are not being investigated. Their land is being taken wholesale. So you can see that while this racial dialectic is being injected into the body politic here in America, that other places in Britain, in South Africa, are dealing with the same racial agitation and political provocation. It's determined to set black and white citizens against each other. All right, so we're going to just go ahead and start our interview with Eric John Phelps. So um, yeah, we're here today with uh, Eric John Phelps, and a well-known author and pastor, and I just wanted to say, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, pleasure to be with you, John, and your listeners. Yeah, that's great. I, I really appreciate your time. It's wonderful to get to spend some time with you today. And um, we've been talking on the podcast a lot about the Illuminati. And um, there's a lot of um, alternate facts. You know, there's a lot of different things that are being said about the Illuminati. But the occult history of the Illuminati uh, comes into being at a time just when uh, Pope Clement XIII was poisoned as he was about to sign a bull to extinguish the Jesuit order, and it just so happened that Clement the Fourteenth would come into play and follow uh, right along, being uh, an adversary of the Jesuits and the things they were doing, and and they signed the bull to extinguish the Jesuits, and that that was at the same time that the Illuminati would come into being. What is the connection there? Well, the Jesuits were suppressed by the Pope in seventeen seventy three, you know, after uh, the Pope conducted a four year investigation. And uh, he was a, uh, Ganglinelli was his name. He was a Franciscan. And he was put there by the Bourbons because the Jesuits had so uh, resisted the Bourbon dynasty in uh, Spain and in France. So they didn't want any kind of a Jesuit influence in the Pope, so they had Ganglinelli elected with their influence because they were high knights of Malta. And then uh, Ganglinelli comes to power, and after the men had been poisoned, as you said, he conducts a four-year investigation, suppressed the Jesuits in 1773, and uh, when that happens, the Jesuits go underground. So they start to found different orders, and uh, one of their orders they're going to found is in their native place of power, which is in Bavaria. And the Jesuits will be in control of the Wittelsbach dynasty. And so uh, they have a church in Munich, and the church of St. Michael's. It's right down the street from the Archbishop's uh, Cathedral. I've been there. So when the Jesuits were suppressed, they just uh, started their Bavarian Illuminati out of Tinglestadt uh, College, which is in Bavaria. And uh, they used one of their canon law professors who was at a wise house who was not a Jew. He was a German. Remember, the Jesuits had it on their in their constitutions that no Jew could be a member of the Jesuit order beginning in 1594, thereabouts. Right. So, they had, so, they had it when they altered their constitutions. So the idea that you can see everywhere on the internet that Adam Weishaupt was a Jew, does that serve the Jesuits' interests at that point? Having that yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does, because then the Jesuits can blame the Jews for the Illuminati. And I have another book here in the 1930s on the Illuminati, 
And it shows you of the 70 people that were involved in its founding, there was not one Jew in it. There were priests, there were Roman Catholic officers, some noblemen, but there was not one Jew that was involved with the founding of the Bavarian Illuminati. Well, the Jews were famously the victims of the persecution of the Inquisitions. I mean, they were not, the Roman Catholic institution wasn't friendly to the Jews over the, the centuries. That's correct. That's why you have Moranos who changed their names, said they weren't Jews, so that they would be spared from being murdered by the Inquisition. And the Inquisition, now it was called Mepaza, Mepaza, which was a blood purity doctrine, where if you were one quarter, one eighth Jew, you couldn't be a professional or any of the like in Spain. And that's what the SS borrowed from Spain, the Mepaza doctrine, when they started implementing the quote unquote uh, Jewish purity, the Aryan purity doctrine, which was not Aryan purity doctrine, it was finding who was a Jew so they could eliminate that seed. Because the Bible talks about the Rachel, Hebrew Jewish Israelites as the Holy Seed. So the devil would like to kill as many as he can. So he does it. He always does it racially. So back to the Illuminati, Weishaupt found it, and Weishaupt <coughs> will use the uh, Frankists. Jews to help him, but the Frankists were not founders of the Illuminati. Now, regarding um, people that the, the Illumi, you know, Jews that would be used by the Illuminati, it brings us to like something that's currently in the news that the, the media really can't keep out of the news anymore. It's the question of um, Epstein, uh, and you know now Ghislaine Maxwell is has been arrested. Um, many are speculating that this will lead to mass arrests of celebrities, perhaps politicians, um, wealthy men involved with the pedophile ring. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I wonder if it's a possibility because... They might be able to keep it under wraps. They, if she dies, they might be able to keep this whole thing under wraps. So that's that's what I you know I was wondering. Well, I, I'm I'm totally convinced the men of power that are involved with Epstein, there nothing's happening to them. Right. Clinton is untouchable. Uh, you name um, the prince over there in England, he's untouchable. They're all untouchable. Nobody's going to jail. Nobody's getting prosecuted. But maybe there will be some lower individuals that may be blamed for it. But there will not be any men of power that will be blamed. And she will she will not talk. She something will happen to her, she will go somewhere, something will happen. And, but she's not gonna do any talking because she's dangerous. And they're gonna do to her what they did to that madam in Washington DC when they hung her in Florida because she knew all the names of the congressmen that were going to her house of prostitution. So if, if this woman is going to talk, even though her father was very well-to-do, she knows it's over. So I'm sure they've come to a deal, and they know they can't kill her outrightly like they killed Epstein, but she is not going to talk. Very interesting. Um, I appreciate your, uh, your insight. Now, I have another uh, question I wanted to kind of put out there. I can remember when you were saying there would be, and this is years ago, you've been, you know, I've been following you for quite a while, and uh, you were saying there would be a new right, a neo-nationalism that would come, that we could expect, that would arise um, from international provocateurs, uh, that communist agitators would drive white people to reactionary right-wing fascism. And since social uh, pressure mounts in this racially specific street revolution, it seems to instigate the call for the white population to say, hey, wait a minute, white lives matter. And this draws us into a large-scale racial dialectic, kind of like how what we're seeing in South Africa at the same time. Um, what would you say about that? Absolutely right. Um, we have to remember the backdrop of this. The Western civilization was not founded by Roman Catholics. It was founded by white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and Baptists. And um, at the time of the Revolution, there were three and a half million uh, white Protestants and Baptists. There were 500,000 black uh, slaves or freedmen. There were 30,000 Roman Catholics and 24 Catholic priests. So the population was no more than 1% Roman Catholic. And so the Jesuits had to set out for the destruction of the Protestantism and the white race peoples of North America. So one of their plans was when they were using King George III for the slave trade, uh, King George 
refused to allow the colonies to stop the slave trade into the colonies. And Jefferson writes about that in one of his, in the particular paragraph of the Declaration of Independence that is not allowed to be in. And uh, I should say that Jefferson and the other four writers, because Roger Sherman was a man of God who wrote the Declaration, he had as much influence as Jefferson. Um, so, and also in that paragraph, it talks about that King George would use these blacks of the slave trade to, to rouse them up to kill the people of the colonies. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. Great Britain, controlled by the papacy, has always sought to use the blacks to kill the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and Baptists of North America. And that's why uh, the Jesuits have stopped every back-to-Africa movement that's ever happened. And they stopped the last one in the 1930s using FDR who is controlled by Jesuit Edmund Walsh. So that's their purpose. That's why they gave these blacks all this welfare for all these years, give them all this money, encourage these black women to have all these illegitimate children with no fathers, give them 1500 bucks a month for them so they can continue to breed this, this fatherless black population that's taught to hate white people in general and to blame them for all their economic setbacks. And this is part of the agitation. Now we have... Now the population is approximately 30% black. It is no 12%. That's nonsense. And so now that they've increased the population to this extent, now they can incite to riots, raping, murder, knifing, stabbing in every major city because a black-on-white race war is on. And it's exactly what the Jesuits pulled in Kenya in the 1950s with their Mau Mau uprising. So they've done this, but the blacks don't know they're being played. And so they're using them to drive the whites, the, the, the pagan whites in this country who don't read the Bible, the Reformation King James Bible, and they also don't know true history, and so they're complete suckers to be driven into the new rights. And that's the purpose of Black Lives Matter, that's the purpose of Antifa, that's the purpose of having these, that's the purpose of telling the cops to stand down. This can't happen unless there's an order for the cops to stand down. So they're all ordered to that, so as this continues to go, it's going to drive white people to desperation in conjunction with the bogus coronavirus pandemic to right. drive the whites to demonstration economically, culturally, into the new right. And the new right, I was taught the new right by a woman named Betty Mills, a very brilliant lady, World War II generation, her husband was in Patton's Army, and she said, it's the new right, Eric, it's coming. And when she alerted me to that, like 30 years ago, she was absolutely right with Lewis Lehrman and Oliver North and William Casey, uh, Reagan, the FEMA camps, all of the production of the new right night from Malton. So that's where we're going. They have the TV and then you have Martin Lee with his book, uh, uh, The Beast We Reawakens, about fascism. And then you have uh, Betty Clermont's book on the, neo, on the neo-Catholic uh, new right movement. Yep, indeed. So, that's exactly where we're going. So, I remember back, so at my age, I mean, 10 years ago, that we would, you know, people on the internet would discuss the King Alfred plan and how that would lead to Rex 84 concentration camps. And it was hard for me to see back then how we could get to a point where we were looking at mass roundups of the black community, but by these carefully orchestrated riots and racial agitations, they're endangering, endangering the entire black community in this country, it seems to me. Well, that's true. you got to remember, the majority of them hate white people. There's only a minority that are civil, kind blacks, and I call them minority civil blacks, and they're usually Bible-reading Christian people. But the majority hate white people. They would love to kill you, and they have nothing good to say about you because you're white. And so they're easily, easily manipulated through their emotionalism to hate white people. They're programmed with them with Hollywood every day, as well as academia, lying about that evil wickedness of the whites every day in every way. And so therefore, since they're easily motivated emotionally, that's how they've been used, but they don't know that they are going to be rounded up. And that was made known in the Iran-Contra hearing with Oliver North when they admitted that 21 million blacks are going to be rounded up for the camps. That came out publicly, and I have it on my PowerPoint. And so once you have those camps rounding up all the, the, those people, then, then it just becomes, it can become a general roundup to anybody who has a problem with it can all of a sudden get caught up in that, it seems to me. Well, yeah, it's, 
I think it's first going to be the roundups of the blacks uh, because they're doing so much damage. Uh, and then it's going to be the roundups of the white liberal communists, which is Antifa. And then it's going to be the roundup of the alien Hispanic Roman Catholic invaders that commit crime everywhere, every day, all throughout Texas, wherever they go. Yeah, we haven't and seen then, um, then, illegal immigrants rioting yet. They're not immigrants. You mistake right. when they call them immigrants. Indeed. They're not immigrants. They're invaders. Yeah, indeed, I stand corrected. They have, no, they have no intention of being Americans. They have no intention of wanting to speak English. They have no intention of learning our history. They hate us. And they're brought up here by the Jesuits running South America, brainwashing them how evil the Yankee is. Okay? So Indeed. it's more correct to call them alien invaders than not immigrants. Yeah, yes, sir. The justice of the people who are truly immigrants, because it takes them eight to ten years to finally get citizenship. I had a couple of Mexican students with me, and it took them ten years to become a uh, citizen. So they were very upset about this, letting all these aliens in here and they give them citizenship. And rightfully so. Yeah, I, da I dare say. Uh, all these alien Roman uh, Catholic Hispanic invaders that are completely devoted to the priests. And that's, that's what the Hispanics, the invaders, the blacks, the. They're going to round up the homosexuals, too. They're all getting around here. Because they've shoved this radical homosexual agenda, LBTQ, down our throats for the last 50, 60 years. They're going to the camps, too. Um, another one's going to be the Muslims. They're going to the camps with all the violence they do to us every day and their hatred for us and their filthy Sharia law, uh, shoving, shoving everything they can down our throats. That's why they put those Muslims in the Congress. Uh, so they're going. So that's what the fifth group, the sixth group, is going to be the Jews. They have to blame some national disaster on the Jews because that's the real group they want in conjunction with people like me who are Bible-believing born-again Protestants and Baptists who are absolutely conservative and want to preserve something, some our wealth, middle class, and so on, gun ownership. And so they're going to round this up, too. So it's really a six-sided enemy they're after, and it's very similar to what Hitler did in Nazi Germany. Yeah, I wanted to point that out, that it's clear to me that we're in a, in a left versus right dialectic, which is what occurred in Germany. It was communism versus nationalism. At least that's what the the public viewed it as, and like America, Germany wanted a, a strong leader to defend Germany, but ultimately it seems that they were betrayed by, by uh, a preponderance of well-placed Illuminati agents, including Hitler himself, who didn't turn out to be a nationalist at all. In fact, he did everything that would bring about the destruction of Germany and not, not, and not its defense. And right. he, he almost and appears that he worked with Stalin, yeah. Yep, well, yeah, that's right. Hitler worked with Stalin. You can get that book, uh, Hitler's Traitor. I'm sure you Borman was the liaison between Hitler and Stalin. Um, but yeah, um, that's exactly what they've done. Um, remember, this couldn't happen had not the, the German people been betrayed in World War I. Remember, you had the Second Reich, and the Second German Reich was Protestant. The first was Rome. You can never overlook the religious matter of this. Who's Catholic? Who's Protestant? Who's Jewish? You always have to ask what the religion of these people are. Right. So, so you have the second German Reich. It was Protestant. It was a wonderful time. Prussia was powerful. Germany was the greatest nation in Europe. Had the most scientific advancements, had the best food, had the highest culture. They were Protestant Lutheran. However, they were corrupted by Jesuit rationalism. And so the Lutheran Church went apostate. And so by going apostate, then you have the Kaiser uh, betraying, firing Bismarck in 1890, which Bismarck kept the peace between Germany and Russia. Bismarck was responsible for, with, the, with the German parliament for expelling the Jesuits out of Germany in 1871. They remained expelled to the Kaiser, readmitted them in uh, June of 1917. So the Kaiser also... Uh, betrayed the German people when he would not evacuate a million German soldiers from the Eastern Front when the Bolsheviks uh, left World War I. So that meant the Kaiser facilitated the, the defeat of the German people so they could be blamed for World War I when they were the least ones to be blamed. And so now they're defeated, they've taken the Danzig Corridor, they've taken a portion of Prussia, the Versailles Treaty was a wicked, simple treaty, putting all those well, war guilt on Germany, which they never repaid until back in like, like 2010 or so. Um, it was a horrible, terrible thing done to them. 
And so that paved the way for Hitler to come to power. And Hitler hated the Germans. He was an Austrian. He, he said, the Germans, if you don't go to total war, then you deserve to be destroyed. Hitler hated the Germans just like the Jesuits. And so that's why he was never killed in a bunker. He escaped and died later. Right, it looks like that a whole contingent of them came into the United States and were used by the CIA and, and went correct. into South America, into Argentina. Is that right? Argentina, correct. I think. Absolutely correct. You had the Vatican Rod Lines. The book you want to read about and read on this, which is one of the very best, is written by an Irish Roman Catholic, uh, Irish American Roman Catholic named, uh, uh, it's called uh, uh, Unholy Trinity. And he went to Boston College. And uh, anyway, it's a very good book. talks about the Vatican Rad Lines. You guys know the Rad Lines and Unholy Trinity and shows that uh, these, the SFs particularly was brought out of Europe into Ireland, America, Canada, I think it's Peter Lavinda. Is that, is that who you're thinking of, uh, Erica? Peter Lavinda? I think he, he's done some no, work. John Loftus. John Loftus, okay. Peter Lavinda's good, uh, but John Loftus, he writes on Holy Trinity. He also That's writes right. a secret war against the Jews. Yes, sir. Okay, um, just a few more things. I appreciate your time. Um, now, leading up to World War One and World War Two, something had happened uh, that was remarkable in the world. I mean, uh, in the the French had been destroyed by the uh, the agitation uh, in their revolution, but in America, a Protestant revolution had taken place that was where there were no war crimes, and and once they won their their independence, they. Uh, they they they've instituted a, a successful Protestant republic here in, in America, and at that time, um, you have it, it, you have a wide ranging historical knowledge. Uh, so what was happening when the European nobility of the knighthoods and the papacy uh, and this holy alliance met together in the Congress of Vienna, uh, eighteen fourteen to eighteen fifteen, and then later the the Congress of Verona, eighteen twenty two. And they joined in a pact to work asymmetrically through uh, third parties like anarchist groups and uh, Marxist communists to fight a universal war against all popular governments and, and, and private liberties and private citizenship right. even. And they were intent on bringing this to ruin. So that would yeah, lead us to a World War I. Although Congress of Vienna, everything after Napoleon Bonaparte and the French Revolution was uh, designed to overthrow the West counter-reformation. And remember the Jesuits ran the, ran the French Revolution? The Russian historians of the Russian Revolution will tell you that the same people that caused the French Revolution caused the Bolshevik Revolution. And so it's the Jesuits. And it's not the Jews. And I show you, there's a book you want to get called Descent into Darkness by James J. Zacko, and he writes this in 1965. He's a priest that writes at Notre Dame, and he shows you right in there that Stalin and Lenin reinvented the Jesuits into Russia in 1922, after they've been expelled by uh, the great uh, Alexander, Alexander the First in 1820. So the whole thing, the Jesuits ran the French Revolution, as they did the Bolshevik Revolution. The French Revolution was intended to kill the enemies of the Jesuits, who were, who were part of persecuting, part of suppressing them. And so that's why, that's why they killed Louis the Sixteenth, because it's because it's what is it? Uh, Grandfather Louis XV expelled the Jesuits from from France, and then that's why you have the destruction of Marie Antoinette. They behead her. Why? Because her mother Maria Theresa took the Jesuits out of uh, Austria. Do you so, think, um, on some level, um, as the Jesuit order is bringing in its novices and bringing in its its next uh, generation of of orders and training them up, that these new generations take on the the uh, vendetta of their masters and and go about in the world to to exact revenge for these things over the time. You can even see this revenge taking place a century later. It seems well, that, in history. And Lincoln said, the Jesuits never forget nor forsake. And you can find that in 50 Years in the Church of Rome by Charles Chenicky. Right. Lincoln was his attorney. And Lincoln saved him from being convicted and lynched by the Jesuits. And he said that the Jesuits, he said, I want to tell you, Mr. Lincoln, he said that he was crying, and Mr. Lincoln said, what are you crying for? He says, your enemies have been vanquished, and you're free to go. And he said, Mr. Lincoln, I'm not crying for me, but I'm crying for you. He said, because I saw no less than the sense of death on the faces of 11 Jesuits sitting in that courtroom. And when Chenicky was released, that, that was by Lincoln's defense. That was the beginning of the Jesuit plot to kill him. 
Okay, they all died in 50 years of scripture law. So yes, the Jesuits never forget. They always get even. If they have to wait 200 years, they're going to get even. Indeed. All right, just one or remember, two more. Remember, remember Sean, it's yes, a military order. Indeed. It's all military. And so that's why they call themselves the company, just like the CIA. In fact, the CIA was patterned after the Jesuits. Now, it's curious that um, if you watch closely that um, Francis I is the first um, uh, uh, Bergoglio, this is a family name, to uh, first uh, Jesuit to become the Pope. And right before he he was, when um, the previous Pope was still in there, Benedictine, the, uh, the Jesuits had a Congress um, and they got together and they elected a new General secretary, uh, general, a uh, secretary general, of the general. superior general, and they did that right at, at, at uh, just a few years before Francis the first came in. And I, and I want, I've heard people speculate that perhaps uh, Bergoglio was voted to become the black pope at the time to become the, the the superior general, and that his first moves were to place a secondary. Uh, 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 superior general in plain sight and then to, to move to get himself to you know and, and they positioned him as the pope so it's possible that he's on, a, on an occultic level he's a black pope and the white pope at the same time i think that's well, interesting yeah. no Stands the reason that if he must confess to a Jesuit confessor, then that then that those are, and, and they're the ones who can absolve his his issues. Then they're in authority ultimately, or even over his mind. So that's an interesting point. That's Could go wrong with that. Um, now, on a, another point there, John Paul I, he was investigating um, the Vatican Bank. This is at a time when uh, the John Calvi murder was rippling across headlines. The P2 propaganda duo lodge was being exposed. And he was uh, mysteriously found dead per in perfect health after 33 days. Yeah, he was poisoned. He was poisoned by agent. Well, if you want to get a book, it's, it'll tell you who did it. It's called Bullet to the Bone, written by a written by a mafioso in the Colombo family. And he tells he was an assassin, and he and another guy went over there and they poisoned the Pope. There's Bullet to the Bone. He tells the whole story. And so they poisoned him, and then found him on the floor with like this horrible grimace on his face, according to Admiral Manhattan in his book Murder in the Vatican. So that's right, they killed him after 33 days to make it known that it's the Masonic Lodge that did it. The 
the Masonic Lodge run by the Jesuits, because the Jesuits are the authors of all the high rights of every brand of Freemasonry, especially Scottish rights. Indeed. Um, and, the, and the book you want to get on this to show the Masonic connection is In God's Name by David Yellow. Excellent, excellent. Now, um, I can't help but point out that yesterday uh, Donald Trump had uh, done some more executive orders re relating to China, and it's just a question of when he's going to activate the um, the, uh, the Industrial Act. Uh, it escapes me what the name of it is, but where he can control industry. And it, it seems that there are forces looking for the right opportunity, perhaps widespread social unrest or race riots, where they might be able to successfully land a military invasion. Um, you've been talking about that for some time, and it looks like we're diametrically opposed to China, and uh, and it seems like there's everything is kind of move in in motion in this direction now. That's ultimately where they want to go, but they have other things they have to accomplish here first. Okay, they have to foment their race war, civil war here first. That will then justify the rise of. Uh, justify the declaration of martial law uh, that they wanted to have, that they wanted to uh, instill ever since the 80s with the new rights. And so then they'll implement their martial law, they'll be doing their roundups, and about this time, um, we'll have to get involved in a two-front foreign war. And for that to happen, there has to be the destruction of some national monument for the purpose of uniting all the people in the right, for the most part, and some of the left, to go to war with whoever does this. And I maintain the Jesuits are going to destroy the capital. They're going to blow it up. As they told us in their movies, uh, Live Free and Die Hard with mm -hmm. Bruce Willis, Jeffrey Mason, and others. Yep. So when they, blow, when they blow up the Capitol building, just as they destroy the Reichstag in Germany, then you can declare a state of national emergency declaration. Uh, uh, martial law and begin the roundups. So that's 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 going to be the end of Congress. And so then the president will assume full powers during this time of emergency. And it might be Trump, but I'm tending to think it may well be Pence, because Pence is a stone cold, calculating individual, mm -hmm. and his brother Greg was trained by Jesuits for seven years. So. His brother will be his advisor, and Pence uniting the evangelicals and the Catholics together, as Hitler did uniting the Lutherans and the Catholics together against the common enemy of communism. It's going to be the similar, similar throughout the Jacob. Interesting. Indeed. So then, so then after they do that, then after they have their, their roundups and their camps, because we got, like, just, what, 600 camps? That's here in Pennsylvania, at least. Then they have these secret camps in the woods you, know, you rarely see. I saw one here in Pennsylvania once from the top of film, deep in the forest. I go, whoa, what's this? So they have them all around. And the Department of Homeland Security is run by the Jesuits. And see, they're going to they're gonna nationalize everything. They have the police stand down, so they're going to nationalize the cops. They're not going to be any local cops anymore. That's what Castro did in Cuba. Right. And so, and so when they nationalize all the cops, they're all going to be Department of Homeland Security. And all subject to Washington, and all subject to the commander in chief. And when they do that, then they'll they'll have their uh, their roundups. They'll have the, the what's the, uh, the thing that's going on here. And then they're going to have their national crisis. So this this is you know Iran. Iran blew up blew up the Capitol building because they have to destroy Shia Islam before the Pope can unite the Wahhabis once again under his control. Because Wahhabism was created by the papacy to the British. Uh, it's Masonic. Um, you have uh, the author of the Arabian Nights involved in that. Uh, oh, what was his name? But uh, then you have you have to have the regathering of the Sunnis, and you can't have that with the Shia. So Shia have to go. There has to be war against Islam, against uh, Shia Islam in Iran. And then when they're killed down, then the, uh, the Sunnis will unite. And uh, under the papacy, and the Sunnis will be the friends of the uh, uh, the Sunnis will be the friends of the Russians and of the Chinese. And then ultimately, when we are defeated deliberately with the betrayal of our navy and our troops overseas, as Hitler did the same thing to his navy and to his 
to troops in the east and in the west, then we would be successfully invaded by the Muslims, the Asians, and the Russians all working together. So they're they're determined to make sure that that it's a full invasion that cannot possibly be be de defended against. And you were pointing out that Hitler sacrificed his army, and it seems like Napoleon did the same thing. So that's correct. That's correct. Yep. All right. Um, sacrificed army uh, in 1812. Gave it over to the Cossacks in the snows. Uh, Hitler sacrificed his army in the snows of Russia. Had him invade with summer uniforms. Uh, total disgrace, and then he has has him surrender. He has Pompeo surrenders. He loses ninety one thousand troops. Only five thousand come back, and they're all Roman Catholics. Right. All the Lutherans died. Died in the Russian Jesuit gulag. Yep. All right. Well, uh, yeah. one final point. It looks like we're going to soon see a, a new prince to take the throne in Britain, um, and, the, and it's. It's noticeable that the first horse in the biblical apocalypse is a, is a rider on a white horse who is given a crown and authority, and he goes out to make war. Uh, it, it, so, what, I guess my question, are we looking at the last days as we approach this? No, no, we're not in the last days. The last days is a phrase exclusively for Israel. last days is not for the church. Because the appearing of Christ has always been imminent. Talks about Hebrew, where where. Uh, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's the last days for Israel. It's the 70 weeks of Daniel. It's come to the end. It's the last days. And then we have the gap between the 70th, 69th, and 70th week. And the 70th week is then towards the last half of the Great Tribulation. That's the last days. But the last days have nothing to do with the church. The appearing of Christ has always been imminent. That's the blessed hope of Titus 2, 13 and 14. So what we're having here is we're having, we're exhorting one another as we see the day approach in the book of Hebrews. And what's the day? The day of the Lord. We're not going to glimpse to it, but we see the setting being set up for it. Indeed. And as far as Revelation 6 is concerned, it's not the four horsemen. There are four horses of the one horseman who rides it. Just as Christ is described by the four Gospels, the beast, the Antichrist, is described by the four horses that he rides. Okay. And the, and the, and you can, I thought I came up with that when I was reading in uh, the Antichrist by uh, one, one particular writer, what was his name? I can't remember. It's a, a very ancient writer, and uh, but it's uh, it's the, it's going to be the final Roman Caesar of Revelation seventeen ten. Part of A. W. Pink. A. W. Pink in his book The Antichrist, he just he shows the Antichrist is rising four different horses. But uh, the final Pope of Rome is the final Roman Caesar. He's the seventh Roman Caesar of Revelation seventeen ten. He's slain with a sword according to Revelation thirteen fourteen, and then he comes back to life. And then as he comes back to life, he's the eighth Roman Caesar, yet the se one of the seven. So he's the seventh Roman Caesar that's come back to life. So I maintain that the final Pope of Rome will come. He will, he will, he will sign the uh, seven-year agreement in Daniel 9.27. He'll be slain towards the middle of it. He'll come back to life. He'll be there. The risen Pope will be the Antichrist. So it's not anybody other than the risen Pope. I don't believe any of that. Tim, what's his name with the Antichrist and a cup of tea? The Antichrist has to be a Roman of Revelation 17. All those seven heads and ten horns, the seven heads are seven Roman Caesars, and the seven hills on which Rome sits. And so the Antichrist is going to be the final Pope of Rome, slain with a sword, risen from the dead, to be devil-possessed, and rule the world for 42 And just having been a follower of kind of some of your earlier discussions on this topic, it looks like that we can expect that the Roman Catholic center of worship in Rome and the uh, Muslim center of worship in Mecca and Medina are going to be engineered to be destroyed at this time. And th this is how it'll be a merger of, of a one world religion that they ba basically cannot be uh, opposed. And that you, uh, it looks like that at that time, the Antichrist will set up his shop in Babylon and in, in there That's in correct. Iraq. Very good. Very good, John. Absolutely right. We're going to see that, that the Rome must be destroyed, and that's what the Ten Kings will do in Revelation 17. Because the woman, the rise of the beast is Rome. It's that city, Revelation 17, 18. And so therefore, um, but that, will be, that will be after the church is departs from this earth. So we will, we will not see the destruction of Rome. 
Right. But we may well see the very destruction of Mecca and Medina and the mosques in Jerusalem. And that very well may be blamed on America, because there will be a war in the Middle East. That's why we have a base there, mm-hmm. our big army base. So, so that Americans can be blamed for the destruction of those mosques. And when that happens, I have Muslims tell me, I told them that's what's going to happen. He said, oh, no, I don't want to run out of that. I said, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And you need to leave this place. So when I'm in Jordan, and I can have a house there, I said, you need to go back to Jordan. And then he got real quiet. He was a taxi cab driver. And he said, if that would ever happen, we would teach our children to hate and kill every American we could find right. until we killed them all. That's what he said to me. Well, they're... Their religion and their doctrine is is calculable, so you know the people that would have them to take this position would know exactly how to push their buttons and how to you know to get them to react in that way. Um, it's interesting that in the news now the the, uh, the Council of American Islamic Relations fellow that his face is the, the typical guy you see that come out the spokesman has now come out and aligned himself directly with with Black Lives Matter and with Antifa oh, right, and right, defunding the right, police right, and so. Pardon me. I'm sorry. No, it's it's it's. Well, so that, that's exactly what I said. They're all going to align together. Right. The homosexuals are going to align with them. The Muslims, the Black Lives Matter, Antifa. Now the the alien uh, Hispanic invaders are aligning with them. Black Lives Matter in Spanish. We've seen their uh, things. Right. So, so they're all uniting with. I think I lost you there, Eric. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Who is that? Uh, oh, when you have these open and notorious Jews back in it, like Soros and others, now they can blame the Jews. They're aligning them all together. And when this new right comes to power with these angry, tough white men that are in the octagon and uh, right. have become very tough, you're going to see a bunch of killers like you've never seen in your life. And these blacks are going to be deathly afraid of them. They're all tatted up, they're pierced, they're fierce, they're angry, they're armed, and they have the power of the state, and it's going to be terrifying. Yeah, the biker gangs are being politicized for it, too, and seem to all be joined in their determination to be pro-American and to, in this national sentiment, uh, which, like as we've seen in Germany, can go terribly wrong. Um, but I wanted to just tell you, uh, Eric, I wanted well, to... Well, 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 one thing, one thing more. Remember, nationalism is biblical. Right. They're nationalists. But we don't invade other countries. Right. Um, but I don't. I don't think Hitler. I don't think Hitler was a nationalist. I mean, he said that he was, but he ultimately. Well, he was an internationalist. Right. Anybody that invades other countries, countries with your armies is an internationalist, empiricist, building an empire, and biblical Protestant and Baptist nationalism does not do that. It maintains a system of isolation, its foreign policy is isolationism, that's why we have the Monroe Doctrine, but whenever you invade other countries and start intervening in other people's affairs, like this government, like this military government has done since March 9th, 1933, it is a papal, internationalist, invading, communist government, soon to morph into new right socialist fascism. Excellent. And it could never have happened without the communists. Well, as we were saying, as you like to point out, uh, uh, Karl Marx was tutored by uh, Peter, Bax. Peter Bax, who would become the superior general, ultimately. Right. So, That's right. And the, and the source for that is, is uh, Bismarck. Right. Bismarck published that, yeah. All right, well, uh, I wanted to just take a minute and thank you, uh, Eric, John Phelps, for spending so much of your time with us, and I hope we can do it again more, maybe, maybe like... Once or twice a month, we could get together like this. It'd be great. Yeah, that's fine. That's, that would be fine, Sean. So appreciate right. you having me on, and uh, and go to my website, Medicine Assassin Org, or Twenty Four Seven World Radio, and listen to my broadcast for free. And I have things in there that you might be willing to think about purchasing. So yeah, I noticed so that, that you had um, a, 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 um, the Gray People, uh, w- w- it's a very hard to find uh, a book that you you offer on your website. So I was definitely going to pick that up, maybe several copies of it. Yeah. 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 Make sure you get the great people and then you can buy coming out of the ice. Uh, Victor Herman's works are epic. He warned about the KGB and the CIA working together. 
And so, you know, most of that surviving Jew, the only American the only American that survived Henry Ford's shipping of the Jews over to Russia to build uh, Gorky. Right, which we might point out that it was uh, implemented by Skull and Bones men from inside the White House. That uh... That's right. <laughs> That's right. Same Skull and Bones men that will be around to put Mao in power. Because without Skull and Bones, Mao doesn't come to power. Without Skull and Bones, Abel Herman, you don't have Len Lease give $11.2 billion to Joseph Stalin. That's why they killed Anthony Sutton. He wrote America's Secret Establishment. That was the end for him. That was the last straw for him. It was a he, he, he it was a work of conscience on his part. I think. I think he knew exactly what he was dealing with. Yes, he did. But he was brave enough to expose it, and uh, just like uh, Eyes Wide Shut, and what's his name, uh, Madame Malta, uh, who made that movie. Uh, right. Um, oh, you remember his name? Come on. I'm thinking too. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I want to say Francis Ford Coppola, if that's not the right name. Um, but, um, okay. Well, uh, anyway, let me let you get back to your night, Eric. You have a wonderful evening, and uh, Lord bless you, and we'll talk again soon. Okay, you too, Sean. We bless you too, and your listeners. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so that was our call with Eric John Phelps, and we can see that he has a lot of interesting things to say. Needless to say, he doesn't trust the international world elites, and from his point of view, they are operating as they have been doing so for a long time, from the the colleges and the universities out of Rome, and it might be pointed out that the Jesuits were the foremost intelligence agency in the world at the time, having run the Inquisition, having members in every single court every king and every nation in the world who could speak any language and who could operate inside any religious group or any nationality or any country in the world, even famously in the court of the Chinese, Francis Francis Xavier would, would go there himself, and eventually they would even have their own members within that court, within those families, and within those religious dynamics who could speak the language and who could inform the Jesuit order on every aspect and every shape of development within the politics of every nation. And so this is how you eventually get the rise of the organizations like the Central Intelligence Agency. And these are all topics that we'll go into later. And these are very controversial issues. And this is why we have constitutional protections against speech and against uh, you know, you know, protection of our speech and, and protection of free press. And so we can learn the truth, even difficult truths, and expose them for all to see. So to point out that in France, during the French Revolution, the Jesuits controlled the court of, of the king and implemented absolute monarchism. But in the streets, there was a Jesuit-led radical revolution, which ultimately later would become communism. And in between these two very destructive forces, between the king being a tyrant and the people revolting against our authority, they were able to bring France to ruin. And they're in a war against free men who have free conscience who freely think and have their own freedoms and constitutional protections and liberties. And their war is to destroy all popular government, of which America is the foremost popular government in the world. And as we're looking at examples of how the internationalist elite have been able to move segments of world populations from one area to another in order to create maximum destabilization and instability because the belief systems between different groups, between Muslims, radical Muslim groups in Somalia and white European people in Michigan, they're predictably and diametrically opposed. So they're creating the backdrop for wider racial riots and social instability. And look at the examples of how the international elite have been working hard to set this into motion and to incite a social destabilization on a world scale, we can see that the colonists in the American Revolution in the 1770s had no sooner conducted a rash tea party and tipping tons of politically unpopular tea into the Boston Harbor, but as soon as they had done it, the British aristocracy easily is able to predict that the America's population of sub-Saharan African slaves were quickly to become a political liability and could be transformed into a population of marauders and a destroying force. 
within the Americas. And this was the pers- perspective, clearly, of the British high command at the time. So we're reading, uh, we're listening to Michael Medved as he helps us make the point about how the European aristocracy sees a weakness and not a strength within our multicultural and multiracial population within the United States. So here's Michael Medved talking about the situation with the Tea Party. In any argument, in any competition, if it goes on long enough, the force of exhaustion kicks in. And both sides say, look, I am willing to lose this thing. I just want it to be over. That was the situation on the road to revolution. In the reaction to the Boston Tea Party and the Coercive Act, both sides were sick and tired of the struggle and making the same arguments over and over again and were ready were ready for drastic events to unfold. After the Coercive Acts were passed in Parliament by huge majorities, more than four to one in most cases, uh, one of the supporters of those measures said, to said America will be exasperated Will she then take arms? She has neither army, navy, money, or men. Another observer, supporter of Lord North, said, I say stand and deliver to the Americans. And he was rewarded with this uh, sentiment by being appointed paymaster of the army. Lord North himself summed up the situation by saying, we must control them or submit to them. The Americans also saw the situation as do or die. They had organized a Continental Congress in Philadelphia trying to draw all the colonies together, not to talk about independence, they were far from ready for that, but to try to coordinate how they could most effectively resist these latest measures by the ministry and the crown. And George Washington, among others, rode off to Philadelphia, rode on horseback from his home in Mount Vernon. He was accompanied personally by Patrick Henry and Edmund Pendleton. And Pendleton saw Washington saying goodbye to his wife, Martha, who stood at the doorway that morning and said, God be with you, gentlemen. Pendleton wrote, she seemed ready to make any sacrifice and was very cheerful, though I know she felt very anxious. She talked like a Spartan mother to her son on going to battle. I hope you will all stand firm. I know George will. She wrote to a relative who expressed concern. Yes, I foresee consequences, dark days and darker nights, domestic happiness suspended, social enjoyments abandoned, property of every kind put in jeopardy by war, perhaps, neighbors and friends at variance, and eternal separations on earth possible. But my mind is made up. My heart is in the cause. George is right. He is always right. God has promised to protect the righteous, and I will trust him. At the Continental Congress in Philadelphia, Washington was one of the delegates who seemed to impress everybody, including his colleague, John Adams, who noted a great tendency at the Continental Congress for people to go on in long, windy speeches about everything. There were so many outstanding people there, all eager to show their education and their rhetorical gifts. Adams wrote to his wife, the consequences of this is that business is drawn and spun out to an immeasurable length. I believe if it was moved and seconded that we should come to a resolution that three and two make five. We should be entertained with logic and rhetoric, law, history, politics, and mathematics, and then we should pass the resolution unanimously. Actually, they were surprisingly unanimous in turning away some attempt at a compromise with England and firmly asserting what they considered to be their sacred rights as Englishmen. This did not win respect on the other side of the Atlantic. Samuel Johnson, Dr. Johnson, perhaps the most famous intellectual of the era, wrote an explosive pamphlet attacking the Americans. His pamphlet was called Taxation No Tyranny, an answer to the resolution and address of the American Congress. And he stated the government's case in extreme terms, saying, we have always protected the Americans. We may therefore subject them to government. The members of parliament have a perfect right to impose taxes on the American colonies as payments exacted by authority from part of the community for the benefit of the whole. Now, all of that was fine. That was sort of standard boilerplate British argument. But Johnson went further. He said if the Americans refuse to cooperate, then the British should, quote, give the Indians arms and teach them discipline and encourage them now and again to plunder a plantation. As if that weren't enough, he also suggested that 
black slaves be given arms by parliament, arming people to whom slave owners denied the freedom which they so loudly demand for themselves is an act which surely the lovers of liberty cannot but commend. Lovers of liberty, particularly in states like Virginia, colonies like Virginia, didn't appreciate the sentiment. Meanwhile, events proceeded toward an obvious climax. So we'll stop it there and we'll point out that events in the American colonies did proceed to an obvious climax. And we can see that the monarch back in England was being instructed by its Jesuit masters that it had absolute right to rule over all of its dominions and all of its human assets. And it's exactly what the colonists were. So in their revolt, the colonists became American citizens and rejected the notion that they were human property of the king and broke the bands of political tyranny and freed themselves. And today we enjoy these liberties and these constitutional freedoms and protections. And we can see how the aristocracy had already had it within their minds to set the sub-Saharan African population and the European population within America, and ultimately even the Indian populations against each other for their mutual destruction. So as we fight for freedom and we unite together in that freedom together in America and this American revolution and become one people, we have done the unimaginable in the sight of the world and in the eyes of history. So I hope you guys have a great night. We'll talk again soon.